Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And what we're seeing here in chapter 2, Joshua, is fulfillment. Uh, God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Entry into the promised land. It's a time of entry, entry into the promised land. It's also a time of war, uh, a time of battle, because Israel is going to enter the promised land, but before that happens, the entire camp of Israel, it's a time of war for the fighters, for the warriors to go forth and, you know, prepare the lands for Israel to enter the land. And so we see like, you know, it's, you know, you see uh, there's uh, uh, how this state of readiness in Israel. Remember the, the journey into the promised land, it's an 11 day journey. And it turned into 40 years as a result of disobedience, which the disobedience was as a result of fear. Remember our study through the book of Numbers? The 11-day journey became a 40-year wilderness experience. Now, in the Bible, wilderness is both good and bad. I mean, Jesus was in the wilderness. Moses was in the wilderness. Israel was in the wilderness. And that's... That was bad because it's like, you know, 11 days it turned into 40 years as a result of disobedience, which as a, was, was a result of fear. But then at the same time, remember, the Lord disciplines and chastises those whom he loves. That's what the Bible says. If we are without chastisement, we are illegitimate children. That's what the Bible says. And so you see how in the course of that 40 years, how the Lord taught and uh, 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 gave precepts and uh, statutes to help Israel. Now you see a different Israel, but also don't forget the first generation in the wilderness died in the wilderness. Now you have a second generation, the second generation. And at the same time, this is the gener generation that is passing into the promised land. You see this state of readiness, a different Israel. But then at the same time, understand we say Israel according to the flesh. According to the flesh, because according to the spirit, we have a different uh, rules of engagement in the new covenant. You see? And it's so powerful to understand. You remember how last week in our study in uh, chapter one, how we make reference to magnet verses. And it pains me to say that. It pains me to, it, it hurts my heart to, to say that the truth of God's word, to refer to certain verses as magnet verses, it hurts. And I don't say it to be hurtful, but so that we can understand that these verses should not be on mere magnets. They should not be on posters, but they should be written on the tablets of our hearts. Deeper. Not refrigerator, not wall, heart, tablets of flesh. Remember as Paul taught the saints? And there's a grim future for Israel. I mean, when we look at the future, we get into the book of Judges. It's, it's not pretty. And you see how harlotry enters the camp. Worship of the Baals and the Asherahs, it enters the camp. People forget the Lord, it enters the camp. But under Joshua and the elders... It's beautiful. Under Joshua and the elders, it's beautiful. You see, we look at formula. Just like we say from time to time, you know, 
for any you know anybody any person can say follow me as i follow christ anybody can say that follow me as i follow christ the pastor can say that you know anybody can say that if all the pastors say follow me as i follow christ we have a specific formula that we analyze and we look at as bereans there's a very specific formula that we that we analyze in a pastor who says, follow me as I follow Christ. You see? In the case of Paul, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's good to follow him. It's safe to follow him. But anybody else? You see? Formula, 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 formula. And that's what we see under the leadership of Joshua and the elders. You see, it's beautiful. It is safe. But then what happens when they die? That, that The generation of leadership, Joshua and the elders, what happens when they die? Then, you know, it gets pretty bad in the camp of Israel. And I don't want to be like Debbie Downer and say like, well, you know, this is good, but, you know, it's going you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's to turn out bad in the long run. Now, you see, it does turn out bad. But then don't forget, the Lord sends prophets. The Lord sends out prophets to say, hey, tell my people to return to me. You see, the long-suffering of our Lord. Remember, a day for him is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Have you ever had had your, like, stabbed in the back? Have you ever felt like you were stabbed in the back? Or just, not just felt like you were stabbed in the back, just straight up stabbed in the back. Somebody does you wrong and you're really hurt. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. And you're just cut to the core. And then after a couple days, you know, you're still hurt. A couple weeks, you're still hurt, but not as like the, the, the very first day at the onset, you were crushed. A year later, you were hurt. Ten years later, it's like you forgot all about it. But with the Lord, where a day with him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, and to know that he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You see, put things in perspective. When we have things in proper perspective, we can understand deeper and deeper and deeper. Like, wow, oh my goodness, the Lord is long-suffering. Which means he's been suffering for a long time. Why? Because, remember, he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world. Now, condemnation is coming. Judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. But he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, even though judgment is coming and condemnation is coming, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. You see? And we say it all the time, and we're going to keep saying it all the time. If you're listening and you have not a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a deep, deep, profound love relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you and you don't have that, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. And we grow together. So we see here in chapter 2, Joshua. Verse 1, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men. So, you know, he has a recon team. He sends out a recon team. The son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove. Now, do you remember in our prior studies in Numbers 25, the Acacia Grove, where the uh, uh, the women of Moab were sent? 
Remember, Balaam and Balak? And through the counsel of Balaam, Balak understood and knew, you know, how do I get Israel to fall? Do I send my mightiest warriors down? And through the counsel of Balaam, he discovered that, no, I have to get the people to deny the Lord. That's how I defeat them. And so does he send his mighty warriors down? No, he sends the women down to defile the men. You see? And then, you know, you have men, you know, hook, line, and sinker. They buy into it and boom, defiled. You see? They became compromised. At that time, not even ready for a fight. Not even ready for a deeper fight. But now you see a different Israel. Because now you see the Acacia Grove all over again. Shittim in the Hebrew. Shittim. And now you see it's different. The people are different. You see? You remember uh, several weeks ago how we gave the example of a room, a single room with two women, worldly women, dressed a certain way, behaving a certain way. And yet, you know, it's like, okay, uh, 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 a non-believer enters the room, then, you know, non-believer is probably going to behave like a non-believer. A baby Christian enters the room and quite possibly and very likely will behave like a non-believer. But he's a believer, but a milk drinker. You see? And say these two women in the room aren't just worldly women. They're, you know, like very worldly women. They're dressed a certain way, behave a certain way, speak a certain way. Baby Christian goes in and he behaves like a non-believer. Adolescent Christian goes in. I'm not speaking about age in terms of like a number. I'm speaking of age in terms of maturity in Christ. Adolescent Christian goes in, he acts like an unbeliever as well, non-believer. Mature Christian goes in, he might act like a mature Christian, but 10 minutes later, he's acting like a non-believer. But then, remember the other category, the deadly Christian enters. You see, the deadly Christian enters. Now you see something completely different. Now the deadly Christian goes in and, you know, lady number one might speak a certain way. Lady number two might speak a certain way. And deadly Christian says, listen, this, you know, I'm not a customer. This ain't happening. But let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Now, what if, you know, I describe the uh, a baby Christian, adolescent Christian, mature Christian, and the deadly Christian as four different people. But what if it's the exact same person in the course of time? The exact same person in the course of time. Now you see what we mean when we explain this 40 years. Yes, it's wilderness, but in the wilderness, there's chastisement and through chastisement, learning, being disciplined through chastisement. As the word says, if you turn to Hebrews really quick. As the word says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, that no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Now, in that example we gave, it's like, you know, you have the, the room with two females in there. It's like, okay, now you know, the, the four Christians, you have baby Christian, adolescent Christian, you have mature Christian, and then you have deadly Christian. And, you know, seemingly four different people. And in some uh, examples, it can be four different people. But what if it's the exact same person in the course of time? Instead of four people within the scope of uh, an hour, what if it's one person in the span of four years? Where year number one, don't go in there because you're a baby believer. Year number two, don't go in there because you're adolescent. Year number three, you know, don't go, you know, don't, don't stay in there for a long time because you're mature, but you know, you still have these, uh, cardinal tendencies. But then year number four, it's on like Donkey Kong, straight up warfare where you're not going to be a customer. You're not going to be a customer that, that, that's like, you don't even think that way. The old man is dead. Now, I give the example of male, but the same thing can apply to females as well. You know, the uh, uh, males in the room and females, you know, and I don't want to seem carnal in explaining this, but we have to understand because we wrestle against the flesh within oneself, but then at the same time, how we wrestle against the flesh in terms of spiritual warfare. Now, it is spiritual warfare, and we wrestle with the flesh within oneself, but in ministry capacity, other people deal with their flesh and to equip others, to equip saints for the work of the ministry. Well, in order to enter into that work of the ministry, a person must understand how to wrestle with their flesh. You see? Male, female, young, old, I don't care. Every single one of us has to not just understand but know how to win and be effective in wrestling with our own flesh, yes. But then to be equipped for the ministry, equipped for the, uh, the for the for the work of the ministry. Well, what is the work of the ministry? That that you know that that's between you and the Lord. How the Lord calls an individual, the Lord can call a person into whatever ministry He wants. But when you enter that ministry, it's it's warfare. It's straight up warfare. That's why Paul says, you know, don't use a novice, somebody who has grown and matured in Christ. And so you see, it's like, wow, you know, you have the acacia grove where the acacia grove in Numbers 25, you see Israel, they fell. Israel was defiled. But now you see the acacia grove and it's different, different ballgame. Why? Because they've matured. And not just matured, they're deadly. Because it's fulfillment of the promise of God unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yes. But in fulfillment of the promise, there's an element of warfare. And when I say an element of warfare, according to the flesh. What about you and me under the rules of engagement of the new covenant? According to the spirit. Same. Same. We don't wrestle with the flesh. But according to the spirit. I mean, we wrestle with the flesh. We don't, we wrestle with the flesh, but we don't wrestle according to the flesh. You see, it's according to the spirit. 
It's very important to understand. And sometimes I give these examples for my beautiful sisters in Christ. You know, when I say like, you know, a room with two worldly women, it's like, you know, protect your mind. You know, I, I don't say these things to, to be, you know, ultra descriptive. But in, in some regards, I do want to be ultra descriptive because that's the severity of warfare. When you understand like, you know, this guy, this lady, they're young Christians. Now there's a, you know, I love watching the nature shows. You know, the, 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 the nature shows, you see like the elephants. I love beautiful elephants, you know, and you see the baby elephant and the baby elephant, you know, is freshly born and they're running around learning how to walk and they're running around playing with all kinds of different animals, you know, twirling their little trunk and doing all kinds of different things. And they're so precious and beautiful and cute and I love them. But then there's predators out there. And you know what's so beautiful about the elephants is that when they see that the predators are, there, predators are out there, what they do is they surround the young. All these big, I mean like elephant, elephant legs, like big tree trunks. And they surround the young because they know if, the, if they don't do that, then the lions can attack the young and eat the young. Drag the young away and kill them and eat them. You see, and so what the old do with the big tree trunk legs is that they surround the young and the young are safe. I love that so much. But for us as Christians, surrounding the young, because the lions are out there waiting. You know, Satan roams like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And that's what we do with the young in Christ. It's beautiful. I mean, parents do it with their young. Godly parents do it with their young. You see? And it's so beautiful to witness in a, in a congregation of saints. We understand that we, we, within, the, within the blueprints of the, the, uh, 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 the sanctuary, understand that you're going to have mature. You're going to have adolescence and you're going to have the deadly as well but then you're also going to have the babies the milk drinkers you know hopefully they haven't been on milk for 10 years if they're on milk for 10 years you're looking at leaven material you're going to have bona fide milk drinkers i mean a person who's been on milk for a year you're looking at leaven material that's when the pastor the hopefully supposedly the deadly person should come alongside that person and say, hey, you know, what's going on? What's up with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol? You see? It's a very... These are the blueprints that the Lord has for us in His Word. Ecclesia. A body of those who are called. It's not a social club. It's not a nightclub. I mean, sometimes you walk into... You're new into a community. You want to go to church. You go to church. It's like, whoa, what in the world? You feel like you're in a nightclub. Whoa, you know, the guys behave like this. They dress like this. You look at the ladies like, oh my goodness, it's like a nightclub. I can't even look at the ladies anymore. It's like, what in the world? You see? And for my sisters in Christ, I don't mean to be overly descriptive. But in one sense, I do. And the reason why is because we have to understand. So that we can no longer be babies so that we can move on to perfection. And if we're babies in Christ, it's okay. No more babies. Now we're adolescents in Christ. Okay. No more adolescents. Now we're mature in Christ. Okay. No more mature. Now we're deadly. Now we're deadly. 
And when we understand that context, look at who's deadly. Look at Israel in their state of being deadly. And now they're entering the promised land. You see? Because the non-deadly, that's been taken care of. And when I say that's been taken care of, I mean, it's been taken care of, but at a heavy cost. Look who's look at this generation of Israel that's entering the promised land. The wilderness was severe training ground. Severe training, heavy training. And this generation understands. Now, we know that, you know, we, we have the luxury of the, you know, we're spoiled. We have the, the full counsel of the word of God. We know how it turns out when Joshua and the elders die. But as of now, under the leadership of Joshua and the elders, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful to see and understand that Israel, they're not wishy-washy. You see, they're deadly. And so we see here in verse 1 that Joshua, he sends out a two-man team, two-man recon team from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went. Now you see, I mean, it's, it's beautiful because you see like it's like straight up obedience, this two-man recon team and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. You see a straight up prostitute, straight up prostitute. You see, and they go and enter the house of Rahab. Remember? I mean, what if, what if this recon team, what if they were not deadly? What if they were not deadly? And they enter the house of a prostitute. And I don't want to be graphic or anything. But think about what these non-deadly recon team, how would they how they would behave in the house of a prostitute? Joshua's not around, the elders aren't around. You see? Now you understand this is entirely different. Entirely different. This is war footing. War footing. Israel, they're deadly now. They're straight up deadly now. It's entry into the promised land. They're deadly. But you hit the rewind button, our study in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's heavy. I mean, we're looking at Joshua chapter 2. I mean, obviously, Joshua chapter 2. And if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to the prior studies. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because we cover heavy, 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 I don't want to say stuff, but, you know, heavy stuff, because you see the ups and the downs. You see the chastisement. You see how the Lord responds to disobedience. The Lord responds to wickedness. You see it. And so to see like, wow, you know, Israel in chapter two, they're deadly now. Wow, this is awesome. They're deadly. Wow, this is so cool. Entry in the promised land, warfare, all this are cool. You know, this is so awesome. Well, don't forget what it took to get here. Don't forget what it took to get here. 
Just like the video games. You know, sometimes people play their video games. They're like, oh, look, I'm going to the war. I'm going to go fight this. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go fight and beat these guys and enter this warfare and do this and, you know, whatever, how, whatever, you know, the gamers. I'm not a gamer, but, you know, they, they say all those things, you know. And like, cool, look, I'm going to do this. But don't forget what it takes to, like, in real life, don't forget what it takes to actually be able to do that. To be able to do those things. To be capable of doing those things. And the same with Israel. They're deadly here. But remember the time machine? Get in my time machine. And remember what it was like 40 years ago. Remember what it was like 20 years ago. Remember what it was like 10 years ago. Remember Korah. All these things. Israel at this point, they're different. They're different for a reason. But the reason is the hand of the Lord that has shaped them to this point. It's the deadly that are entering the promised land. You see, the days of wishy-washy, those are over. Wishy-washy has been taken care of. And I don't say that to disrespect Israel in any way, shape, or form. But I also don't want to disrespect the Lord. You see, there's a reason why the Lord responds the way he does. He responds exactly the way he said he he would respond. To disobedience and to obedience. To wickedness and to righteousness, and also to repentance. The Lord is reactionary. How is it that you and me respond to his word? You see, how is it that Israel responds to his word? And when any of us, Israel or us, they respond to his word in obedience. Now you see what the Lord does, blessings of obedience. They respond in disobedience. Now you see what the Lord does. He responds to their disobedience. You see, the same with us, the same with you, the same with me. You see, and so this recon team in deadly Israel under the leadership of Joshua. This recon team, they enter the house of a prostitute. And they don't go in as customers. Oh, but Joshua's not looking. Look, they can get away with anything. They can do this, they can do that, and they'll get away with it. No, they know we're not going to get away with it. And not just we're not going to get away with it. Like, we don't even want it. You see, they're different. They're different. And that's a problem in the church today. No difference. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Come on, let's go to the strippers. What? Where's the difference? What about the change? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? Oh, but I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go do our crack. I don't see crucifixion, brother. I don't see crucifixion, sister. Oh, but the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. Listen, that's what Paul says. He's crucified with Christ. Not to say that that verse can't apply to any of us. But in order for that verse to apply to any of us, 
we better be crucified with Christ because Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see? Would Christ, I don't want to sound blasphemous, but would Christ be a customer of those things? No. He would go to prostitutes and he did go to prostitutes to save them. You see? Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And yet we have Christians say, oh, come on, let's go. You know, let, let, come on, brother, let's go to the strippers. Come on, brother, let's go to do our crack. Come on, brothers, let's go gambling. What? There's no crucifixion. That's not crucifixion. That's the old man that's still alive. That's the old woman that is still alive. You see? And yes, it's bad for the Christian to do that. But I place heavy blame on the pastors, on the teachers, because you have saints who do not know. That should never be the case. I mean, if a saint doesn't know, it's because they're on milk. And if they're on milk, it's because they are a brand new Christian. But when you have milk drinkers for five years, ten years, one year, not good. And yes, it's not good for the Christian, the saint, but I place heavy blame on the pastor. Why is it, pastor, that these saints don't know? You see? So you have deadly Israel. Not like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. We're in Joshua 2, deadly Israel. You have a two-man recon team. They go into the house of the prostitute named Rahab. Now, they don't go in as customers. They went in, it says here in verse 1, So they went and came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and lodged there. You see, it's so beautiful. You see, it, you know, they lodge it. So like, you know, they stayed there, you know, not as customers. So they say, remember, this is, they're deadly now. They're deadly, you know, and it's so important to make these distinctions because even in the case of Rahab, I mean, we look at Israel's past as we just explained, but then we look at Rahab. Something's happening in the heart of Rahab. Something's happening in the heart of Rahab. Oh, how dare these people, how dare this recon team go into the house of the harlot? Do not forget Israel's harlotry. Don't forget Israel's harlotry. You see? And sometimes Christians, we get on a high horse. If you're on a high horse, get off of it. Oh, look at her. She's a prostitute. Oh, look at him. He's a prostitute. Look at her. You know, she's this. Look at him. He's that. It's like we got on a, we get on a high horse. Now, understand there are inherent dangers behind those things. The prostitute, the drug dealer, you know, drugs, sex, drugs, the whole nine years. There are absolute dangers behind those things. But who do the, the dangers, who... Who are impacted by those dangers are the babies, the adolescents, and even the mature. 
But with the deadly, it's a different ballgame. You see? Sometimes people enter ministry and they get into whole heaps of trouble. Surely these prostitutes, the Lord would want these prostitutes to become Christians? Jesus went to prostitutes. So I'm going to take it upon myself and minister to these prostitutes. A couple months go by and the guy becomes a customer. You see? A guy goes into ministry with the, the, the uh, 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 like uh, 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 drug addiction, drug, drug addicted people. Surely the Lord would want them to come to Christ. And yes, absolutely. So I'm going to take it upon myself to minister to these people who are inflicted with drug addiction. How terrible it is. And yes, it's terrible. So I'm going to go and minister to these people. A couple months go by. The guy's a meth head. Got meth mouth the whole nine yards. Don't forget that Satan is a fisherman too. Don't forget that Satan is a fisherman too. Some fights aren't for everybody. You see? Some fights just aren't for everybody. But with the deadly, it's a different ballgame. And I'm not talking about deadly according to the flesh. I'm talking about deadly according to the spirit. You see? So these recon team, two men recon team, they entered the harlot's house, Rahab, and they lodged there. And we see... (laughs) This is, to me, this is like one of the funniest parts of the Bible. And no disrespect to the Lord, no disrespect to Israel. But to me, this is one of the funniest parts of the Bible. We see here in verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now, The reason why I say that to me this is, I mean, you have a two-man recon team. And, and when you're on recon, when you're like on a recon mission, I mean, you know, there's, to go on a recon mission, like a legit recon mission, there's certain rules in place. Not just every, anybody can do it. You know, of, you know, one of the highest echelons of objectives is don't get caught. <laughs> don't get caught. And so we see here, it's like, they were, they were caught. They were caught. It's, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, this might resonate with, like, uh, uh, for, to the alphabet guys, the team guys, and even JTF guys. This might resonate, you know. You know, we have a night movement, the two-man recon team, and a night movement. And then at the same time, they get caught. They're found out. You see? It's, it's beautiful to see, like, remember to Joshua, just like we see in chapter one, and we studied this last week, how the Lord says to Joshua, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's so beautiful because, you know, you see this two man recon team here in chapter two, and it's like, okay, the objective is, you know, they have a specific objective, go and recon the area and report back, especially Jericho, go and report back. And this two man recon team, they get caught. They get found out. 
you see? And like in verse 3, so the king of Jericho sent to Rahab. So it's like, it's not just that they got caught. I mean, it's, it's nighttime. It's not just that they got caught. Not only were they spotted, but their location was known too. It was known like they're in the house of Rahab. I mean, for the alphabet guys, team guys, and JTF guys, it's like, this is like, you know, mission failure. This is like, it's, it's total failure here, according to the flesh. But don't forget what the promise of the Lord unto Joshua was. I'm with you. Because the Lord makes a way. It's so beautiful because you see, not in accordance to human intellect. Because you see that even when they were found out, even when they were discovered, the Lord makes a way. So it's like you know, you have the recon team, two man recon team. You know, different Israel. You know, they're this is a war footing. You have deadly Israel. They're about this is the the, the recon is for war. It's not recon just to go out. You know, uh, you know, see what's going on and see what's up. And okay, that's nice. And you have Jericho. No, it's because. Jericho is going to be taken. This is, you know, recon for war. And so it's like preparation for war. The war footing of Israel, it's like, it's on. You know, it's just like what the recon team is going to come back, report to Joshua, and it's like, okay, attack. And so this is a different Israel. There's a different recon team. But then you see, wow, the mission, it looks like a mission failure. It, it, it completely looks like a mission failure. But is it? The promise of the Lord unto Joshua, Joshua, I'm with you. You see, another interesting thing to note is when the Lord says, I'm with you, Joshua still has responsibility. Joshua still has things to do. And just like we see in verse one, he sent out this recon team and the recon team, they still have a job to do. You see, yes, the Lord is with them, but they're still tasks at hand. And it's important for us to understand this because it's like, you know, okay, cool. You know that I'm saved of the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm just going to sit on my couch and, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm saved of the Lord. Okay, so I'm just going to, you know, sit on my couch and do nothing. You see, understand that faith without works is dead. And I don't mean works like, okay, I'm going to sit on my couch and, you know, I'm going to get off my couch and I got to get 10 converts today and 100 converts in the week and 200 converts in the month. And no, I'm not talking about that type of work. I'm talking about works of obedience, faith without works or belief without obedience. The two are inseparable. The two work together. You see, yes, we have these instructions that we read through the word of God, understanding the covenants, understanding the rules of engagement. And yes, we have these rules that we, not rules, but precepts by which we live to honor the Lord, you and me yielding to him. But then when I say sit on the couch, I don't mean like in a literal sense. I mean, don't sit on the couch in your heart. You and me, we have to apply the word of God to our lives. You see? And in so doing, in the course of time, as the Lord renovates our hearts and renovates our minds, a complete and total gut job, out with the old, in with the new. When that happens, and we reckon the old man dead, we reckon the old woman dead, when that happens, now we're crucified with Christ. Then we can say it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. 
And then we go from mature, when we move on to maturity, we go from mature, and don't forget the next echelon, deadly. You see? It's very interesting and very important to note and remember that in the case of Israel and in the camp of Israel, it's the deadly that are entering the promised land. You see? Not, I mean, Israel according to the flesh, but for you and me, according to the spirit. Meaning, deadly in terms of, you know, we don't play games. We don't play games. We're not customers of the prostitutes. You see? We're not customers of the drug dealers. You see? And so we continue. Seemingly a mission, seemingly a mission failure. They're discovered, you know, it's not just like, you know, hey, there's these, you know, the, the two man recon team, they entered in and, you know, like, where are they? We got to search them out. No, they know they're at Rahab's house. You know? <laughs> so we see here in verse three. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. You see, the, the whole entire mission is compromised, seemingly compromised, because they know that, you know, the, the recon team has entered. They know the location, and now they know the mission. But don't forget how the Lord says to Joshua, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, what if the Lord, not to sound blasphemous, but what if the Lord wasn't with them? Now it's it's not deadly Israel. Now it's deadly Jericho. And it would be bad for this recon team. You see? When the Lord is not with them. But the Lord is with them. You see? And sometimes we have this idea and this concept about spiritual warfare. Which is why we stress formula, 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 formula. You know why? Because the formula has to be right in us, in you and in me. The formula has to be right in us. A lot of times people teach about spiritual warfare. But then you look at their lives and they're compromised. I mean, a pastor who's on his third marriage, previous wives are... Uh, not dead, they're still alive. So he's an adulterer. And he's a pastor. He has the pastor parking spot at least. He calls himself a pastor. People acknowledge him as pastor. His doctrine is not according to the word of God. You look at the kids, it's like, okay, the daughter's on drugs. The son is sexually active. The other daughter's sexually active. The other daughter's, you know, crackhead. And it's like, okay, the the formula is wrong. And he's going to teach about spiritual warfare? No, he's compromised. What does he know about spiritual warfare? Look, he's, he's lost. I don't want to learn victory from a loser. You see? I don't want any of us to learn victory from a loser. How, you know, you want to learn how to be a, a, like a, a star basketball player. You're not going to go learn from somebody who has a history of losses. You see, same thing in the church. The guy's like, he has a pastor parking spot. He's compromised. His home is out of whack. His wife is crazy. Kids are crazy. His doctrine is off. He's, you know, he's on his third marriage. Previous wives are still alive. He's an adulterer. He's compromised. And he's going to teach about warfare when his whole life he's been a loser. 
You see? You can't learn victory from him. We have to understand. Oh, but he's got the pastor parking spot. That's nice. We look at the formula. Oh, but he's got his degree in theology. That's nice. What does the Bible say? And is he aligned with the word of God? You see? Because a lot of times Christians, we get this idea of like, okay, I'm going to go into spiritual warfare. And to go into spiritual warfare, it's an aspect of every single Christian's life. But a majority of Christians are unprepared for the fight. Unequipped for the fight. Not just unprepared, but unequipped. You see? I mean, it's one thing to carry a sword, but to know how to use it? You see? It's one thing to have a, a helmet on. To have a breastplate on. To carry a shield. To carry the sword. But those are heavy. You see? Those are heavy. And when you don't have experience in wearing these, the armament of warfare, we need strong legs, strong back. And I'm speaking metaphysically, spiritually. You could have little noodle legs and be the mightiest of warriors in Christ. You could have little noodle arms and be the mightiest of warriors in Christ. I'm not speaking physically. And to learn spiritual warfare and learn how to fight, learn from somebody who's been victorious in Christ. Don't choose the loser. Oh, but he's got his pastor parking spot. That's nice. Third marriage, wives are still, you know, wives are still alive, so he's an adulterer. Current wife is crazy. Daughter is sexually active. Other son is worshiping Buddha. Other daughter's into witchcraft. He's exposing himself as a loser. No history of victory in Christ. I don't care what title he gives himself. You see, his God is his belly. Here we see, according to the flesh, the mission is compromised. According to the flesh, the mission is compromised. But is it compromised according to the spirit? You say, wait a second, this is Israel according to the flesh. Yes, but the Lord is with them. The Lord is with Joshua. You see, with Joshua as head, it's safe in the camp of Israel. Remember, when we looked at chapter one, you know, I had a hard time with chapter one because they're beautiful, beautiful verses. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer in saying, yes, this is Joshua. And, you know, don't forget, you know, Israel in their fallen state. And don't forget Israel in their going to fall in the future. You know, I, I don't want, I don't like being a Debbie Downer, but sometimes when we look at truth and study scripture, there are some moments where it's like, man, this is a bummer. Man, this is sad. Sometimes it's very hurtful. Sometimes it's very painful. Situationally, what's happening with the subject matter in the word of God, but even situationally, what's happening with our hearts? Because it's like, whoa, my life doesn't align with the word. 
At that moment, you and I have a choice to make. Do we yield to my will? Do we yield to our will? Do you yield to your will? Or do we, as Hagios, do we as the Episunagage, do we as the Ecclesia, are we the ones who yield ourselves, choose to yield to the Word of God? See, balls in your court, balls in our court. The mission seemingly compromised here, according to the flesh. But according to the Spirit, the Lord is with Joshua. Remember the blessings of obedience? Deuteronomy 28. Those are all in play. Deuteronomy 28. All those things, those are all in play here. Rules of engagement. You see? But to go in a fight without God? That's not good. But the same thing is for you and me. To enter spiritual warfare without God? That's not good. You see a lot of Christians, no victory. No victory. Tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. No victory. Having no victory in life. Milk drinkers. If you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart <clears throat> to listen to our studies through First um, Corinthians and then get caught up to Second Thessalonians because we specifically mention the importance of maturing in Christ. And you'll see it in First Thess- Corinthians on up to Second Thessalonians. You'll see <clears throat> maturing in Christ. Because we, we cite specific examples, time frames, analyzing, uh, regions of the land, you know, okay, where, you know, these are milk drinkers and this is how the Lord responded using his vessel, vessel Chloe, vessel Paul. You see? Being on milk is beautiful for babies. But even according to the flesh, a baby gives up milk eventually. You see? And so we continue here. Mission is compromised, seemingly. The recon team. You know, when you're on a recon mission, you're supposed to be in secret. You know, everything you do is supposed to be in secret. And here they're found out. They're not just found out. They know exactly where they live. They know the mission. Everything is fully exposed. But then look what happens here in verse 4. And so we see in verse 4, then the woman took the two men and hid them. You see, this... Jerichin women, Jerichin woman will say, I don't know if Jerichin is a word, but I'm going to say Jerichin. So it's Jericho, but she's a, a resident of Jericho. So I'm going to say Jerichin. So here she's a Jerichin woman is officially, officially in defiance of the king. Officially against the state. We see in verse four, the woman, Rahab, prostitute. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, this is Rahab's account of what happened in responding to the king. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the the men went, I do not know. 
Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. Now, this is Rahab's account, which is a fabrication. She's sending the these guards of the king. She's sending them on a wild goose chase. Look at verse 6. But she had brought them, speaking of the recounting, but she had brought them up to the roof. And this, notice in verse 6, the parentheses. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. You see, so she's this Jerichin woman who is officially against the state. And now she engages in disinformation, sending these guards of the king. You know, they came to collect the, the recon team. And so all of a sudden she sends them out on a, using disinformation, she sends them out, you know, on a wild goose chase. Now, is this permissible? A lot of Christians get into trouble here because they assume that lying is okay. Oh, it's okay for me to lie because look, Rahab did it. But what was known? What was known? What did Rahab know? Did she have the statutes? Did she know the statutes? The answer is no. Does that mean that lying is permissible? Well, understand, you know, when we say what was known, remember, Moses killed an Egyptian. Moses straight up killed an Egyptian. And he didn't break the law. But it's not, it's against the law to kill. It's against the law to murder. Moses murdered, so why didn't the Lord take his life? Because that law had not been get, been given. Moses didn't know. Moses didn't know that it was against God's law to commit murder. And I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse murder in any way, shape, or form. Remember, we're written with a conscience. A conscience is written on everyone's heart. Remember, Ecclesiastes. But the law hadn't been given. With circumcision. Moses, in obedience to the Lord, says, Okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Egypt. I'll go back to Egypt, Lord, just like you called me. And the Lord was gonna kill him. The Lord was gonna kill Moses. Why? Because of the law of circumcision. And Moses had a son who was not yet circumcised. And Moses knew. Because that law was given to Abraham. You see? I'll give you an example. Take two males. Two males. And both are caught in a lie. Two males. Both are caught in a lie. Two males. Different homes. Different roofs. And both are caught in a lie. Okay. 
Male number one is four years old. And, you know, you see the, the, the lid of the cookie jar is, is, you know, on the table. You have a fully open cookie jar. You got some Oreo cookies in there. And, you know, the little boy has, you know, crumbs in his fingers. You say, let me see your teeth. And you see the Oreos all over his teeth. You know, the, you know, you eat Oreos and get the black all over your teeth. So it's obvious, you know, he's exposed. You say, you know, did you, did you eat Oreos? He says, no, mama, no, papa. I didn't eat any. Caught in a lie. Remember, two males, two different homes. First home, male number one, four years old, cookie jar. Male number two, 40 years old. And what was exposed is that, you know, marital infidelity. Wife and kids, the whole nine yards, and he was unfaithful. Caught in a lie. Now, Forgive my boldness in saying, giving this example. But in two homes, two different homes, two different roofs, you have two males both caught in a lie. One is permissible. Why? Because, okay, yes, the boy got caught and he has his hands in the cookie jar. You see the teeth, you got the, the black all over the teeth. And you say, okay, it's obvious you ate some Oreo cookies. But we don't do that, son. Because the son doesn't know. It's not, you know, yes, he's young, but what what is his level of knowledge of, you know, this is against the rules. I don't want you to eat the cookies. Why? Because, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, I, I don't want you to eat the cookies because, you know, you can only have a couple of days. You can only have too, too much sugar. We don't want you to be crazy. You know, you know, whatever it is. But you can have a cookie if you do something that I tell you, you know, you, like, you know, reward type of deal. You have one cookie a day, two cookies a day, three cookies a day, whatever it is. But to eat 10 cookies in one shot, no. Now son learns it. And sometimes a little tap, tap, double tap. Not the, not the bad double tap, you know, the good double tap, you know, tap, tap. Now the son knows. You see? But for the 40 year old guy, who was also caught in a lie. He knows. What if those homes are Christian homes? Five-year-old boy, he doesn't know. First time, you know, he had an Oreo cookie for the first time and he loves it. So he goes to the cookie jar, takes it upon himself and says, okay, I'm going to load up my belly with these Oreos. He doesn't understand that, okay, mom, dad, they say this. And if I don't do, if I do this anyways, then I'm going to get spanked. I'm going to get the double tap. And I don't want the double tap. So the kid learns. Incrementally, he starts to learn. But for the 40-year-old guy in the other house, also caught in a lie, different lie, but a a lie nonetheless, he knows. You see? And biblically speaking, it's grounds for divorce. Biblically speaking, the wife can divorce the husband. A lot of wives get sent on guilt trips. By pastors, even husbands. Oh, you shouldn't do this wife. You shouldn't do this wife because look, God hates divorce. And a lot of wives get sent on guilt trips. But the wife didn't break the covenant. The stupid husband did. You see? 
And because the husband made his choice, okay, now a wife has to respond. Now it's true that a wife can forgive. But that marriage bed, it's holy. A lot of husbands, oh, wife, you have to submit to me, submit to me. And a lot of pastors teach, you know, uh, husbands have these sexual sin because the wife lets herself go. Carnal men disqualified pastors. They have no business at the pulpit, but yet they're at the pulpit. Nobody, nobody, no Bereans, nobody's analyzing as Bereans, nobody's analyzing the word, nobody's analyzing the fruit, nobody's analyzing the formula. Pastor says, you know, husband has a problem with the uh, 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 sexual sin because the wife lets herself go. And so the wives start to say, okay, we're going to go to the gym now. We're going to work out of the gym. You know, I want to be, I want to, I want to be a good helper to my husband. You know, I want to, I'm going to go work out, you know, wear my makeup, look like a floozy, all kinds of different things. Carnality. Carnality. I'm talking about inside. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. So in those two examples, you have two homes, two males, both caught in a lie. With one, it's permissible, it's understandable, it's okay, because he's learning, you see? With the other, wicked, 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 you see? We make these distinctions. What was known. What did Rahab know? A lot of Christians, they say, well, it's okay for me to lie because look, Rahab lied. A little disinformation campaign. Oh, look, son, you're 16 years old. You got, you know, the, the hairy chest. You got a beard. Why don't you say you're 10 years old so I can get some cheap tickets? We get the movies, you know, I'll, I'll pay for my ticket and, you know, you can get in free because, you know, just... You know, let, let you know, shave a little bit and, you know, get rid of those whiskers on your hair. When you talk, don't talk with a deep voice. You know, make sure you talk nice and high. Don't talk with a deep voice, son. And we'll just say you're 10 years old. Get the cheap tickets. Look, it's helping me out because I don't have to pay, you know, 10 bucks for a ticket. You see? Oh, we're going to go to the amusement park. You know, son, you know, I know you're big. I know you got the muscles. I know you got the hairy chest. I know you got the facial hair, but shave and we'll say you're 10 years old. So you can get in, in cheap. Kids fly free. Then we'll go to the buffet. You know, kids eat free. Lie, son. Lie, son. Look, it's for my betterment. Look, Rahab did it. Rahab lied and it was better for her. It was better for Israel. So therefore, it's okay to do it. So I'm going to lie. Go ahead, son. I'm going to teach you how to lie. A lot of Christians get into big trouble. But it's self-inflicted. Remember, the Lord responds. Oh, it's okay to lie, son. And look what, the, look what a dad, look what a mom is teaching the sons. Look at what the mom and the dad is teaching the daughters. Hey, daughter, baby girl, come over here. I know that, you know, you're tall now, whatever, but, you know, let's lie and say that you're 10 years old. Let's lie, daughter, baby girl, let's lie. And let me teach you how to lie, baby girl. Instead of teaching righteousness, a parent chooses to teach wickedness. And, you know, I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about Christian homes. I'm talking about Christian homes. And you mix in false doctrine, 
Oh, it's okay, baby girl. You know, baby girl, well, like, one, like, hey, dad, mom, dad, isn't, isn't this bad? We're lying, mom, dad. Well, you know, once saved, always saved, and God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he permits, there's his perfect will, and then his permissive will, and because of once saved, always saved, it's permissible that we can do this. What about when the whole doctrine is a farce? You see? What about when the whole doctrine, according to good old John Calvin, is a farce? Well, there's his, there's God has his permissive will, and then there's his perfect will. And you know, every once in a while you might run into his perfect will and be in his perfect will, but most of the time you'll be in his permissive will. And because we're in his permissive will and once saved, always saved, it's permissible for us to lie. Look, Rahab did it. So it's permissible for us to lie. And now I can get my cheap tickets. Look, we're blessed of the Lord because I get my cheap tickets. We can get in the movies for free. Look, you can eat free. We get the nice little... Buffet, you get the salad. Look, don't you like this chicken? Like this nice little piece of steak. You get the salad. You get the shrimp. All these things. Look, isn't that good? Look how how good it is to your belly and your taste buds and all these things. And look, we're blessed of the Lord. Fools. Fools. Instead of passing down righteousness, parents choose to pass down wickedness and the flesh. Oh, but... I'm in God's permissive will. God's not wishy-washy. God's not bipolar like you are. You say he's sovereign? Act like he's sovereign. Behave like he's sovereign. You see? We have to understand. Because I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to Christians Oh, I have a question. I have a problem in my life. I got this. Okay, lay it out. You know, what's the what's the deal? What's the problem? Well, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. And what do I say to her? What do I say to him? You know, look, I'm in the right because I'm in God's permissive will. And he's in the wrong and she's in the wrong. What do I say? Okay. You want to know what you say? You say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You don't say it to... That lady, you don't say to that guy, you get on your knees, you get on your face before the Lord and say, you know, Father, forgive me. I repent before you. Why? Because this should have never happened. This is the fruit of your own doing. You lied. You lied. You see? Oh, but Rahab did it. Look, Rahab, look, she's... She's sending them out on the goose chase. But what does she know? Does she have the law? Does she know the statutes? Remember, we're in Jericho. Does she know the statutes? Just like the the two houses. She's like the four-year-old. She's not 40. I mean, in the example, she might be 40 here, but in the in the example. She's not the four-year-old. Or she's not the 40-year-old. She's the four-year-old. What does she know? She doesn't have the statutes. Just like Moses. I mean, 
You think committing murder and then circumcision of a child. You think like, oh my goodness, do not commit murder. That is way worse. But the Lord was going to kill Moses over the circumcision. I mean, you picture, you're a parent. And you, you know, murder a guy or circumcise my son. And in the eyes of the Lord, when the Lord wanted to kill Moses, it was over the circumcision. That's precisely the case. I mean, put those two. Murder and circumcision. And the Lord was going to kill Moses over the circumcision, not the murder. Why? What law was given? The law over the circumcision. Moses didn't know. The law of murder wasn't yet given. You see? And not to say that prior to that, that murder is a free-for-all. Go ahead and commit murder. Don't forget Cain and Abel. But the law hadn't yet been given. What was known? You see? And that's why we make these distinctions between milk and meat. You got the meat eaters in the church, which are rare. But then you got the milk drinkers, which are not rare. A lot of milk drinkers in the church. But when you see milk drinkers in the church, now you make another distinction. You know, make the distinction between, um, you know, okay. So we make the distinction between field and worker or worker and building. We'll say field, field and worker. Our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We make the distinction between field and worker. Okay. So let's put the worker to the side. Now we look at the field. Now within the field, you have the meat eaters and the milk drinkers. Okay. Now with the milk drinker, well, let's look at the meat eaters for a second. With the meat eaters, you have adolescents, you have mature, and you have deadly. Okay. Now when you're deadly, that's like the, the, the precursory to ministry. Okay. So now let's put the meat eaters to the side. Now you have the milk drinkers. Within the milk drinkers, it's okay. Why are you on milk? Somebody's been on a Christian for 10 years and they're a milk drinker. Okay, now you're looking at potential lemon material. What's up, brother? What's up, sister? Why are you a milk drinker for 10 years? And then, you know, the guy and the lady, they say, well, the, the pastor never taught us this. The pastor never taught us that, this, this, this. Okay, jump ship. Jump ship. He's not, he's incapable of teaching. Jump ship, leave. But somebody says, you know, you know, why are you a milk drinker, brother? Why are you a milk drinker, sister? Well, I love Jesus, but I also love the sex. I love Jesus, but I also love the crack. How long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian for 10 years and I've been on milk for 10 years. Okay, you're leaven. Now, leaven is dealt with. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you'll understand. Somebody says, you know, I'm a milk drinker. I like the sex and I, I love the Lord and I also like the sex. I, I love the Lord and I also like the crack. How long have you been a Christian? I just became a Christian today. Okay, praise the Lord. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Let's talk about the sex. Let's talk about this crack. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And then the milk drinker learns, you see, and becomes a meat eater. You see? But a big problem today, coupled with false doctrine, 
Well, there's God's perfect will and there's his permissive will. God's not bipolar. People are. And people who align themselves to such teachings, they are. Predominantly found among the Calvinists and Reformed theology. They call it theology, but it's a theory. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you. But listen to our study, several studies. Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Another study called Biblical Predestination. And then another study called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. Because what we're seeing today is Reformed pastors starting to teach it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Why? Because they lean on the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. See? It's happening. We live in a time where I don't even have to say like, you know, it's potential that this could happen. This might happen. This might. No, no, those days are over. We're here. It's happening. You see? Well, there's God's permissive will and I know there's his perfect will and every now and then I might be in his perfect will, but because there's his permissive will, okay, baby girl, you know, I know you're tall and, you know, you're like a lady, but let's say you're 10 years old. Hey, son, you know, I know you have the deep voice, you got a full beard, but let's shave a little bit. We get the cheap tickets. Look, we get a cheap, cheap tickets. Kids fly free. Kids eat free. And look how blessed we are of the Lord because we're saving all this money. And with this money that we save, we can tithe more. We can give more to the Lord. And with this money we save, you're able to eat. That's the way of the fool. That's the way of the fool. Because what is known? You see? And a lot of Christians say, oh, well, Rahab lied so I can do it. What did Rahab know? You see? That's like saying, you know, like in, in that example with the two homes, you know, the 40-year-old guy and the 40-year-old boy. The boy gets scot-free. Not even a tap. No, no, no double tap. You know, the kid he gets scot-free. Okay, son, don't do that. You do that again, son, and you know, it's toast time. You're going to be toast, son. I love you, but you do that again. You disobey me, son, and you know, it's time for toastation. I love you, but that's just the way it is. And then, you know, little boy does it again, double tap time. You see? I love you, son, but you disobey me, house of pain. So seemingly gets away with it. How stupid would it be for the 40-year-old guy to look out his window and see, wow, his neighbor, the little 40-year-old boy is getting away with murder. Getting away with the cookie jar. And he says to the wife, hey, wife, why, why are you coming down on me so hard? Look, this, this guy over here, he's getting away with it. How stupid would it be to make that comparison? Hey, wife, you know, yeah, I committed this sin and yeah, I was found out, but hey, no big deal. Look, this guy's getting away with the cookies. Which guy? That four-year-old? You see, and that's what happens in the church. Christians, they think they're mature, but they're little babies. You see? And they make these comparisons. Well, Rahab lied, so it's okay for me to lie because it's, God's permissive will. It's not his perfect will. It's his permissive will. Says who? Where, where do you see in the Bible where God is bipolar? Where do you see in the Bible where God is bipolar? As if God's will is imperfect. Where do you see in the Bible? Show me. 
oh, how dare you speak that way? Because look, I have my doctorate in theology. That's nice. You have your doctorate in stupid. Oh, how dare you? I went to seminary. That's nice. Cemetery? What is being taught there? What fool do you call professor? You see? Oh, you're so mean-spirited. Listen, those days are over. We're talking about heaven and hell. Heaven and hell, because you have teachers now who are saying, take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. You have nothing to worry about. And I'm the bad guy. Big problem in the church today. Big problem in the church today. And Christians who say, oh, it's okay for me to lie. Look, Rahab did it, so I'm going to go ahead and engage in it too. Rahab did it, and so I'm going to do it too. But what was known? What was known? She didn't have the statutes. She didn't have the commandments. She didn't have the law. You see, and how much worse for the Christian today who says he believes in the Lord, who says she believes in the Lord, where we have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. Not just the statutes, not just the Ten Commandments. We have the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. You see? How much worse is it for the Christian today? Sometimes Christians say, oh, I don't like to read the Old Testament. It's too hardcore. Too much wrath in the Old Covenant. Too much wrath in the Old Testament. So I like the New Testament. Nice and friendly. Makes me feel good. Now the New Covenant is worse. You know why? Because we are without excuse. We are without excuse. Because we have the full counsel of the Word of God. You see, we have to make these distinctions, these understandings, looking at the formula, analyzing the formula within oneself and as Bereans. Now it's like, okay, I, I, I'm new to a town. I'm going to go to church. You go in the church, you look at the formula. Oh, I want to learn about, I'm going through all these problems. I need to learn about spiritual warfare because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm losing this battle of spiritual warfare. I'm going to go to this church over here. It's nearby. It's just a five-minute five drive. So I'm going to go to this church over here. Unbeknownst to the Christian, unbeknownst to the believer, is the pastor's a loser. Never had victory in Christ. Why? Disobedient. Oh, but he parks in the pastor parking spot. That's nice. What does the Bible say? You see? The church is in trouble. This is the last day's ministry. And the Bible says that in the last days, that judgment comes first to the church. Everybody talks about judgment. God's judgment. Oh, the rapture is going to happen. You know, pre-tribulation, which is unbiblical. Oh, the rapture is going to happen at any time. The rapture is imminent, which is unbiblical. Listen to our study through First and Second Thessalonians. You'll understand more. Oh, the last days are upon us. That's the days of Noah. The last days are upon us. Okay. If you really believe that the last days are here, then you also understand that God's judgment, which is coming, it comes first to the church. 
You see? And we are in the last days. We are a last days generation. And we understand that judgment indeed comes first to the church. We say the church is in trouble for our reason. And it's not just the church is in trouble. Okay, thanks. Have a nice day. It's the church is in trouble. Repent, 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 repent. Get right with the Lord. Let's get you cleaned up. This is how we get you cleaned up. You see? Through the word. A washing of the word of God. Not to make permissions for say, oh, look, Rahab lied, so I'm going to lie too. It's it's a blessing of the Lord because I don't have to spend, you know, $500 to get into this amusement park. I can just spend 50 bucks. You see? Fools. Fools. Look at the early church. Look at the early church. Where... You have two women, two women in the town square, Roman soldiers. Somebody points, points out the women and says, hey, Roman soldiers, these ladies over here, see those ladies over there? They're Christians. They, you know, they didn't have the word Christians back then. They called them people of the way. See those ladies over there? Those are ladies of the way. See those two? Ladies of the way. Roman soldier. Two soldiers go to the two women. Is it true? Is it true that you're Christians? Is it true that you're ladies of the way? Oh, Rahab lied, so I can lie too. No, we're not Christians. Think of the dishonor to the Lord for his temple and for his ears to hear the voice of that temple say, no, God isn't here. No, I, I don't believe in Jesus. Think of God's ears hearing that. Think of the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord in a temple who hears the denial of the Lord himself. And so lady number one gets to live because she lied. Oh, Rahab lied so I can lie too. Lady number, lady number two. Are you a lady of the way? And she knows. I'm never going to deny my Lord. And she counts the cost. She knows what it means. She says, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. What happens to her is horrifying. I mean, immediate death. I mean, if they like slide a sword right in her neck right at that very moment. That's good. 
But usually with the females, the death wasn't immediate like that. You see? That's hardcore. One lady gets to live, the other dies. You see? Turn to Hebrews 11 really quick. In Hebrews 11, in verse 35, in Hebrews 11, verse 35, women, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. See, this is beautiful, beautiful women who stood for the Lord, not accepting deliverance. Are you a lady of the way? And a lady counts the cost and knows, okay, I'm going to be tortured. Probably be raped. Probably be eaten alive by the lions. Torn apart by lion number one, lion number two, lion number three, lion number four. Probably torn apart. You deny Jesus Christ, you get to live. And a woman who has counted the costs. Yes, I'm a lady of the way. You see? I'm not going to accept deliverance. You know, I say, no, I'm not a Christian. I get to go home, see the family, you know, have a nice meal, get the bed, sleep on the Giza sheets, the whole nine yards. But I've denied Jesus Christ. Defiled the temple of the Lord. Oh, but Rahab lied, so I can lie. Look, I'm blessed of the Lord. Look, son, let's lie about your age. Look, baby girl, lie about your age. I know you're tall. You know, you look like a lady, but, you know, let's say you're 10 years old. I know, you know, son, you got the deep voice. You got the beard. But just shave. Let's say you're 10 years old. We'll get all these. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. And people confuse the blessing of the Lord with... Their carnal betterment. They think about their bank account. I don't want to spend 500 bucks, but I'll spend 50 bucks. You just got to lie, son. You just got to lie, baby girl. Baby girl says, hey, pops, why you? This is a lie. This is, this is lying. Well, baby girl, there's God's perfect will and there's his permissive will. And look, Rahab lied and it was better for her. It was better for Israel. And so now it's permissible. See, baby girl, this is an example of God's permissive will. And baby girl assumes that it's safe to be under the covering of mom and dad. But what baby girl doesn't know is that mom and dad are fools. What baby girl doesn't know is that mom and dad are stupid. Idiotes. Idiots. That's what baby girl doesn't know. Asking all these questions. But mom, the, the Bible says we shouldn't lie. Well, baby girl, look, I have a I have a, a doctorate in theology. I went to Bible college, all this, and there's God's perfect will. And look, God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he says that there's his permissive will and this is this is permissive for him and 
Once saved, always saved, and God is sovereign. And baby girl doesn't know. Mom is straight up stupid. That mom is an idiot. Dad is an idiot. You say, oh, that's so mean-spirited. Okay, okay, I'll say it like Paul. Idiotes in the Greek. Idiotes. Mom and dad are idiotes. Baby girl doesn't know. And she assumes that the covering of mom and dad is safe. And what she doesn't know is the covering of mom and dad is unsafe. You see? Baby girl grows up believing in a lie. It's okay to lie. It's okay to lie. Look, my my spiritual covering, they taught me how to lie. Look at these beautiful women of Hebrews 11, verse 35. The, tortured. Not accepting deliverance. You're free to go. But if I'm free to go, that means I have to deny Jesus. That means in denying Jesus, I defile this temple. And that's not happening. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. See? The world was not worthy. You talk about beauty. Beauty, real beauty. You have stupid pastors. Oh, but he's male, so it's good. What is taught? He says, women, you got to wear your makeup. You got to go to the gym. You got to work out. You got to look like this. You got to dress like this. You got to wear the makeup. You got to do the fake eyelashes and do like this so you can please your husband in submitting to your husband. You have foolish, wicked, idiotes pastors. You want biblical beauty? Right here. Look at these beautiful women. Stoned. Sawn in two. Slain with the sword. You see? Trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, of chains and imprisonment. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I tell you the truth. These ladies, they weren't concerned about fake eyelashes. These ladies weren't concerned about makeup or going to the gym or wearing certain clothes. Stupid, stupid, wicked men at the pulpit. Fools. Idiotes. Who have no business at the pulpit. And they teach, they beget other idiotes who teach their kids to lie. Oh, Rahab did it. So look, son, you can do it. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. I don't have to spend 500 bucks. I can spend 50 bucks. And look, I'll give you a little something extra. I can buy you that new bicycle. Hey, look, baby girl, you do this. And look, we're blessed of the Lord. I can buy you this nice dress. 
Si. Idiotes. Idiotes pastor teaches idiotes mom and dad. Idiotes mom and dad begets idiotes son and daughter. The daughter, the son, curious. But wait a second, the Bible says that's lying. Well, Rahab did it, so it's permissible. Look, Rahab lied too. Look, it turned out good for Israel. Rahab lied, so you can lie, son. You can lie, baby girl. You see, and instead of baby girl and son understanding that, oh my goodness, mom and dad are stupid, pastor is stupid, the doctrine is stupid, and instead of the kids understanding that, the kids hook, line, and sinker, they buy into it. Now, to my young brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, 15, 14, 9, I don't know, whatever age, if you identify that your parents are idiotes, Stupid parents. Now, respect them. Honor them. Be very careful in how you submit yourself to them. Because they're idiotes. You see? 15-year-old son. You submit yourself to Jesus Christ. 15-year-old daughter. You submit yourself to Jesus Christ. Mom and dad say, son, go ahead and lie. Nope, that's not happening. I'm not going to defile this. Day. You want to defile your temple? Go ahead. But I'm not going to do that. You see? Wisdom. Wisdom. There is a better way. You have wives that, you know, they spend all this money at the gym, you know, go to the gym, all this gym membership, and they do this. Oh, the pastor says I got to look like this so I can please my husband. I don't want my husband to do his sex and go to the prostitutes and do the pornography and do these things. So I got to look a certain way. The pastor says that my husband has these sexual proclivities and these sexual problems because of me. It's my fault. Because I don't look this way. I don't do the makeup. I don't do the fake eyelashes. I got to look this way. I got to perform this way. All to please my husband. I got to submit to my husband. For my beautiful sisters in Christ, never forget the better husband. His name is Jesus Christ. These beautiful women here in Hebrews 11, the ones who didn't accept deliverance, the ones who were tortured, the ones who had trial of mockings and scourgings of chains and imprisonment, who were stoned, who were sawn in two, who were slain with the sword, who wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They didn't wake up in the morning and put on their fake eyelashes. They didn't wake up in the morning to do their makeup. Wake up in the morning and, you know, get on the elliptical. These are beautiful women. Beautiful women. Cherished of the Lord. Who have their eyes on the prize. Which is paradise with him. Idiotes have their eyes in the world. And they conduct themselves according to the world. But the living. The world's not worthy of them.
You see? You align yourself with Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, the one whose word is above his name. The world's not worthy of you. But we're not of this world. We're just passing by. You see? This is beauty. This is beauty. This is hardcore. You know, I like hardcore. This is hardcore. I mean, you know, open open the, 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 the chain doors. You know, woman, you're free to go. All you got to do is deny Jesus Christ. He says, no, I'm not defiling the Lord, my Lord. Denying deliverance, not accepting deliverance. That's hardcore. It's the only way to live. Let's go back to our study in Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. So you have Rahab here. Rahab doesn't know doesn't know the law. She doesn't have the statute. She doesn't have the commandments. So she she's a little disinformation campaign. It's understandable. I mean, she doesn't know. So look what happens here. In verse 7, the Jerichan guards, now they're going the wild goose chase. In verse 7, then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the forts. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So now you have these two Jerichan guards, guards of Jericho. They're outside looking for the, the recon team. Unbeknownst to them, the recon team is hidden on the roof. Rahab sent them on a little goose chase, little disinformation campaign. Oh, that means it's permissible to lie. What she? What did she know? She doesn't have the statutes. She doesn't know. You see, remember, you know. Yeah, on one side you have murder. On the other side you have circumcision. Carnally speaking, you see, you figure murder is worse. You know, but when the Lord wanted to kill Moses, it was over not the murder, circumcision. Why? Moses didn't know about murder, but he knew well about circumcision. You see? We have to be wise, not making excuses for sin. Well, Rahab lied, so I can go ahead and lie. Nope, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. It works that way according to the idiotes. But, you know, it doesn't work that way according to the word of God. You see, we align ourselves to him, the real Jesus. Oh, but I I, I have this, you know, this, this guy, he went to the Bible college. That's nice. That's nice. What does the Bible say? The ultimate authority. So the, the guards, they're on the wild goose chase. He says in verse 8, now, before they lay down, now we're back to the recon team. We're at the roof of the house, you know. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, you see, you see how beautiful this is. What does she know? She doesn't know the statutes. She doesn't know the commandments. She doesn't know the this and that, the rules about, remember, running water. You know, the rules of this and that, the little intricacies of the grain offering, the wave offering. She has no idea about it. 
But what she does know is the Lord. In verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. You see how beautiful this is? That's why it blows me away sometimes. You know, you have in churches, they say, well, if you want to be a Christian, you know, a 10-year-old girl, a 10-year-old boy, an 8-year-old boy, a 7-year-old boy, a 6-year-old girl says, you know, I want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you have these stupid pastors who say, well, you can't do it because you don't understand what you're getting yourself into and it's impossible for you to memorize this, you know, all these, these dissertations that we have and the, uh, 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 the, the confessional and this, and you got to memorize this and you got to give a big speech and write a report on why you believe in Jesus Christ and this. So I know you're six, I know you're five, I know you're 10, but you can't do it just yet. We got to wait till you're 15. Fools. Fool, look at Rahab. What did she, she doesn't have the statutes. What does she memorize? You see? What does she... Does she know the Ten Commandments? Does she know the grain offering? The wave offering? Does she know? The answer is no. But what she does know is the Lord. You see, she's officially... When she... In verse 4, she takes the men, the recon team, and she hides them. Right there. As a result of that, she's officially an enemy of the state. Jericho. But what is she doing? She's aligning herself to the God of Israel. Understanding that God is with Israel. Because remember, God made himself known in the land. Look at Egypt. Where are they? No more. Why? The God of Israel. He made himself known. And as a result, Rahab said, look, I know we're in Jericho. I know we have our gods. I know I have the king. I know there's this. I know there's that. And But Israel, what their God did to Egypt, I know he's not playing games, so I don't want to play games. And she's a prostitute, remember. Not to say like, you know, oh, she's just a measly prostitute. Not to come off that way at all. But she's a prostitute. Let's be real. Let's be honest. She's a prostitute. But it's beautiful. Why? Because she believes. I don't care what your background is. You might be a prostitute too. Prostitute. Drugs, crack, sex, the whole nine yard Buddha, Wicca, Mary, all kinds of worship that doesn't align to the word of God. But you know, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or you might be listening, a prostitute. You might be listening, whatever, you know, homosexual, lesbian. You might be listening and you're like, well, I've never heard the word spoken like this before. Who is this God? Who is this God that he speaks of? He's the God who loves you. Not willing that you should perish, but that you come to Christ. Well, I tried Christianity. I went there and the guy was stupid and I said I wanted to come to Christ and he wanted me to memorize this big old thing and I didn't want to do that and he just sounded stupid and I went to this other church because I really wanted to believe in Jesus Christ and accept Jesus Christ and he said that I had to speak in tongues and do all this stuff. Listen, 
Those were people who have no business at the pulpit. Idiotes. You believe? There's something that needs to happen. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus. And you do precisely that. I don't care. You're a prostitute? I don't care. Drugs? I don't care. Alcohol? Whatever it is. Sex, drugs, Buddha, Wicca, occult, Ouija boards. I don't I really don't care. I don't care about your history. I don't care about yesterday. I care about right here, right now. I care about your tomorrow. I care about you being in paradise. You see? Look at this beautiful prostitute, Rahab. She's officially an enemy of the state. Except she knows. The God of Israel isn't playing around. I know I have my belief system. I know I've been raised up in Jericho. I'm in the ways of Jericho. And I, I have, I'm in this line of work. But all I know is that the God of Israel, he, there is none higher. He is almighty. He's made himself known. I see it. And there's, that's it. That's just it. And so she says here in verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She's speaking to the recon team. Remember, the mission seemed to be a complete and total failure. I mean, you've ever gone on recon, like a like in a harmful environment, and you go on a mission where you're not supposed to be seen or found or discovered and you're discovered, not good. And that's exactly what happened to this recon team. And look at how Rahab is providing shelter for this recon team. When the mission seems like a complete failure. And yet the Lord makes a way. You see? Look at how beautiful this is. How there's a safe haven. In the house of the prostitute. You see? And I say, former prostitute. Because when she becomes an enemy of the state, an enemy of Jericho, she officially becomes an enemy of the state, an enemy of the king. But she also aligns herself to the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You see? And the God of Israel has a son. His name is Jesus. You might be a prostitute. You might be in, on drugs, on alcohol, on Buddha, the Ouija's. And your whole history is just messed up. I don't care. 
Do you know how messed up my history was before I came to Christ? I tell you from experience. You come to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And we together, we yield to him and his word. And you know what the Lord does? He cleans house. Jesus cleans his temples. As the saying goes, he cleans his own fish. Look at beautiful Rahab, former prostitute, now in alignment with the God of Israel. Now a vessel of the Lord providing safe haven to the recon team. And she's explaining the fear of the Lord that she has, which is the beginning of wisdom. In verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Remember our study in Numbers 21. This is where the serpent was lifted up on the pole. And as Jesus Christ said, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so too shall the son of man be lifted up that all who see him shall be saved. You see? In verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Now, hearts melting isn't a bad thing at all. Not a bad thing at all. When every prior thought and every prior notion and every prior belief is revealed as a lie, hearts tend to melt. Hearts tend to grow weak. You see, even that, that's what truth does. That's what truth does. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep to the marrow. I don't care what you believe. You might be a Catholic listening. And you're like, okay, you know, like, I'm listening to this guy and he says, Mary, like what? Mary's bad? Don't forget at the wedding, Mary says, this is Jesus. This is my son. You do exactly what he says. And to the Catholic listening, I say the same thing. I echo the words of Mary. You do exactly what he says. And you know what? He never says, worship Mary. He never says, worship Mary. We worship Jesus. He never has any teaching about praying for dead relatives in purgatory. That Mary can come and rescue them from purgatory and bring dead relatives to to heaven. The real Jesus never speaks of such a thing, such an abomination. And I echo the words of Mary, do what the real Jesus says. And in order to do what the real Jesus says, my beautiful Catholic friend, something has to happen. You have to jump ship. You have to jump ship. Because Catholicism is unbiblical. And I say to you as well, my beautiful Catholic friend, jump ship. Come out of her, my people. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You jump ship, and we study the Word of God together.
together. I've had these conversations with Catholics before. Oh, but the Bible says this. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Show me. Okay, let me go talk to my priest. You go talk to your priest. In fact, you know, bring him back. Uh, yeah, I want to talk to him too. Let me talk to your priest. See, a couple days pass. We meet again. No priest. Well, I had a conversation with my priest and he says it's written not in the Bible, but it's in these councils, it's in these other books. Okay, so you know what that means? We have the Bible, the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. And you know what your priest is advocating? He says to go outside the Bible. Outside the Bible to learn about purgatory. Outside the Bible to learn about the worship of Mary. Outside the Bible to learn about the worship of angels. The worship of saints. Outside the Bible, outside the Bible, outside the Bible. The word became flesh. You want to abide outside of Jesus Christ? Because if you do, there is no salvation outside of Christ. We abide in Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. The word of God. Genesis to Revelation. Oh, but there's this book. It's written in Latin. It's old school. That's nice. Is it Hebrew? Is it Greek? Is it Aramaic? No, it's Latin. That's nice. Throw it away. You see? And I've had these conversations with Catholics. Like, oh, like this is hardcore. It's too much. <laughs> That's what truth does. That's what truth does when you're confronted with truth. It's, you're cut to the heart. And I tell you from experience when I was confronted with truth as a former Catholic. My heart melted. But it's so beautiful because at that point, I was confronted with a choice. Do I stay in this vessel of Catholicism? Which is by their own admission, outside of the Bible? Or do I jump ship to where it is safe? You see? Oh, but my friends, they're in the Catholic Church too. Bring them with you. It's a big boat. It's a big ship. Come aboard. Welcome aboard. Look at Rahab in verse 11 here. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. You see? Remember, God made himself known. God made himself known. Remember the gods of Egypt or the, the wise guys, the religious leaders of Egypt? They're like, look, the God of Israel can do the blood, the, the water red. And look, Pharaoh, we can do it too. Look, we can do it too. So their God is no big deal because our gods can do it too. But when the hail came, the gods of Egypt were powerful. Gods of Canaan, the Baals, the Moleks, the Asterisks, there's power. But they're not the Almighty. They're not all-powerful. 
These are vessels that Satan uses to trick, to deceive. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is almighty. You see? And God made himself known to Egypt. But look at the surrounding communities of Egypt. Now the king of Jericho, he dug in his heels. He he's he's he wants to, you know, who the recon team, these spies came in, we know where they're at, we know they're at Rahab's house, we're gonna go capture them. But as for Rahab, she made her choice. You see? She made her choice. How beautiful is I mean it's, she's a former prostitute. Not the so-called, you know, higher echelon of society, so to speak. And if you're a prostitute, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've had these conversations with prostitutes before, not as a customer. And prostitutes who know exactly their position in society, not so good. And I say that carnally speaking. But once aligned with God. You think like, oh, I'm a prostitute and there's the king of Jericho. And wow, you know, look, I'm in the doldrums of society. And the king, he's like in the upper echelon of society. And surely his way is better. But with God. The king is just moments away from dying. The king is just moments away from death. Who's, positionally speaking, who's better off? The former prostitute. And that only comes through her fear of the Lord and her alignment with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. You see? Same today. Alignment to the God of Israel with through and in his son, Jesus Christ. Your prostitute? Listen, I don't care. You've been a prostitute for a month? That's nice. I don't care. You've been a prostitute for five years? For ten years? I don't care. You feel like you're the in the lower echelon of society? I don't care. Because in Christ, you're a daughter of the Most High. In Christ. You see? In Christ. Positionally speaking, you could look at the richest guy on the planet Earth. Positionally speaking, who's better off? The one who's aligned, abiding in, sided with, Walking with, holding on to the son of the God of Israel. His name is Jesus Christ. Look at beautiful Rahab here, former prostitute. In verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. You see, God made himself known and 
Rahab chose wisely. You see? Baal was in her court and she chose wisely. Baal was in the king's court. He chose wrongly. You see? In verse 12, now therefore, I beg, this is Rahab still speaking. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my, to my father's house and give me a true token, which is like a trustworthy signal. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. She's, that's, this is what she says to the recon team. She provided safe haven for them in her house, the house of a prostitute. And in her home, there was safety for this two-man recon team who were discovered not so good at recon. You know? <laughs> not so good at recon, but God is with Joshua and God is blessing Joshua. You see? And in so doing, blessing Israel. See, Israel is un under the leadership of Joshua and the elders in good hands, just like the church. Jesus Christ is the head pastor, but under the leadership of a godly pastor where the formula is right, nice and safe for the sanctuary, for the saints in the sanctuary. Safety, you see? In verse 14, so the man, the recon team, the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. You see, keep it on the down low. That's what he's saying. Keep it, keep it secret. Keep it on the down low. Remember, they're recon. Not so good. They're learning. <laughs> but, you know, keep it on the down low. They're recon. He says, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. So she lived in the exterior side of the, of the, of Jericho. She dwelt on the wall. I love this so much because positionally dwelling on the wall, like a watchman. She dwelt on the wall, just like a watchman would. Beautiful. Watch women will say. So beautiful. This former prostitute. We see in verse 16, and she said to them, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Because remember verse 7, that they're still out there. The pursuers, the guards that were sent to, to collect the recon team, the guards sent out by the king of Jericho, they're still out there. Verse 7, they're still out there. And so she says, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So not only is her home safe haven, but her counsel is safe haven as well. Notice what we see happening here. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath or we will be free of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord. Crimson cord is how it translates the color of Red, the color of blood. Verse 18, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. You see, the parameters of safety 
are being defined by the recon team. This, this isn't the recon team. These aren't men from 20 years ago, men from 40 years ago. Men who aligns to Korah. This is a different caliber. These men are warriors. These men are deadly. I still learning about recon, but you know, they're deadly nonetheless. And these parameters of safe haven, they're being defined. Notice the parameters of safety are extended to, to them as well, extended to them as well. Through Rahab, her home, her council. Notice. We see in verse 19, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of, whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. You see, safety, the lines of safety, they're not just being defined, but the lines of safety are her home. This one, because Jericho is about ready to fall. The king who doesn't align himself to the God of Israel, he's about ready to die. You see, death is coming. Destruction is coming. Jericho is will be destroyed. But the parameters of safety, the lines are being drawn in the home of a former prostitute. Beautiful. I love this so much. Because you look at her history of prostitution. That's nice. Who cares? Who cares? Your prostitute, your drugs, your alcohol, your Buddha, your occult, your Mary, your Wicca. I don't care. Who cares? I care about two things. You're right here. You're, you're right now. Well, three things. You're right here. That's one. You're right now. Two. And your tomorrow, three. You see? Repent. Believe in Jesus. Receive him as Lord and Savior. Commit your life to him. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you come back and you listen and you study. And we grow together. He says here that in verse 19, that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. You see, so something beautiful about this recon team. If this is a warrior class, these guys are deadly. Still learning recon, but they're deadly. Look at the ownership of responsibility in explaining the parameters of safety while also themselves counting the cost. Because, you know, if, if we, uh, whoever in, in verse 19 at the end, whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. You see, they're counting the cost. They're taking ownership of this responsibility. You see? In verse 20, and if you tell this business of ours, if you tell this business of ours, then we will be, we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Because remember, this is 
recon team supposed to be secret, even though they were found out, even though not just the, not just that they were, you know, uh, two recon guys in the, in, in Jericho, but like location, the mission, everything fully exposed, you know, and you know, now they want to keep it secret. <laughs> They're still learning recon, but you know, grace will give them some grace. In verse 21, then she said, according to your words, so be it. See how beautiful this is. Former prostitute. Safety in the home of former prostitute. And this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. She says, according to your words, so be it. Rahab's not only on board. But she's submitting herself to the words of these deadly men. You see? You see how beautiful this... It's, it's so beautiful what's happening here. Because we see different Israel, warrior class, deadly but then you see the scope of operation in terms of operator. You see grace, you see mercy, you see love, you see safe haven, you see safety, you see parameters, you see blueprints. You see the wickedness of past and you see the glory of present and the glory of future. And when I say the wickedness of past, yes, prostitution, wickedness of past. But who cares? She's making her choice. Now, in the case of the king, bad for him because he made his choice. In the case of Rahab, today is the day of salvation for her because she's like acknowledged. Okay, look, you know, like in, in, in verse 11, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth. Boom, she made her choice. She made her choice. Former prostitute. Because now she's aligned with the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She says in verse 21, according to your words, so be it. Notice her submission to the words of these deadly men. And she sent them away, it says in verse 21. And they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. You see, obedience to the blueprints and the parameters of safety that was given to her. That was told to her. And just as she says in verse 21, according to your words, so be it. And she's in obedience to their words. Beautiful. Prostitute no more. You see? I don't want to get graphic or anything. But think how she was treated by her prior customers. Not to get graphic. Thinking she's just there for one thing. Think of her heart, her mind, how she felt. And no, and, and now that those men, 
They're moments away from death, moments away from judgment. And she lives. That's powerful. That's powerful. But what do we expect from the Almighty God? That's how He works. The parameters, the what He prescribes, the safety, the parameters of safety. He's still doing it today by deadly men. You see? By deadly men, he's still establishing these parameters. The parameters are already given. The deadly men just speak of it. We see in verse 22... They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. You see, this is on the account of the former prostitute, Rahab, a beautiful, beautiful Rahab. In listening to her counsel, the recon team is safe. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. You see, the the recon team had intel from Rahab. She also saved them. See, the Lord is at work. The Lord is at work, doing a mighty work. In and through the recon team. But the work is already starting in Rahab. In verse 23, so the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. So they're going back now. They descended from the mountain, crossed over. They go back over the the river, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. You see, it's not just confirmation. But instead of fear being endemic in the camp, what do we see spreading? Courage. Courage. Remember the the first call to war? Or the earlier call to war, we should say? The earlier call to war? Go and fight the Canaanites. And fear spread in the camp. Now you see a different Israel. Deadly. In closing, turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll go back to Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, verse 31, Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Rahab. She's hardcore. You see how beautiful she is? Look at verse 31 again. Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith. By faith. I'll say it again. By faith. The harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. 
Think of all her gods. Before Moses entered Egypt, his return to Egypt as a messenger, as a vessel of the Lord, as a servant of the Lord. Picture all, whatever she believed in, whatever God she had, whatever her belief system was, maybe she was political, apolitical, I don't know. Her politics, her religion, whatever belief, her system of conduct in Jericho. And then all of a sudden, in the distant land, not so distant, but in the not so distant land, God makes himself known. I mean, remember, Pharaoh is so-called God on earth. Egypt is like almighty. And they're turned into nothing by the God of Israel. And now you know that, you know, put yourself in Rahab's shoes, her sandals. And now you see like these nomadic peoples, these nomadic people, Israel, former slaves of Egypt have been freed by their God. And Pharaoh, who was God on earth, is nothing. Egypt, who was almighty, is nothing. Now, the king of Jericho, he maintained his belief system. Remember, he wanted to capture these the, the recon team. But Rahab, she didn't have the Ten Commandments. She didn't have the statutes. She didn't know about the grain offering, the wave offering. She didn't know about, you know, turtle doves. She didn't know about the ox. She didn't know about lamb. She didn't know about any of that. But what she knew was that the God of Israel, he is almighty. And by faith, in verse 31 here, Hebrews 11, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish. She did not perish with those who did not believe, you see. By faith, she did not perish. Turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse... 25. Likewise, this is Brother James writing. He says, verse 25, James chapter 2, verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified? Not by faith now. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You see, Hebrews 11 speaks of her faith. But now James 2 speaks of her justification, being justified by works. And what we see in Rahab, former prostitute, what we see in Rahab is faith and works not being separate, but faith and works working together. The two are inseparable because not only did she believe, but her belief evoked a response. And that was her works. You see? Let us not be hearers of the word only, but also doers. Just like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful former prostitute, but who cares? Beautiful, beautiful Rahab. You see, she made her choice. 
She chose well. She chose wisely. And I can't wait to meet her. I'm so in love with her. Now, in closing, finally, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, we see here in Matthew 1, verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ or Messiah. Let me read this again. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, this is the lineage of the seed. But, you know, the lineage is, you know, that lineage of flesh. But remember, the seed is holy. It is of the spirit. And in that lineage, we see here in verse 16, it all leads to Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, born of the spirit. Look at verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. By Rahab. By Rahab. Beautiful, beautiful Rahab. Rahab. A former prostitute. In the lineage of the Most High. In the lineage of Jesus, Son of the Most High. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care how filthy you are when you come to Christ. But come to Christ. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And I tell you from experience. He cleans his own fish. Look what we see here. Salmon in verse 5 begot Boaz by beautiful, 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 exquisite, gorgeous Rahab. Remember Hebrews 11 by faith, James 2 by works. Behold the handiwork of our Lord. The beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.